Welcome down to Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Mark Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield in the first show of the 2021 baseball season. Charlie, man, it's good to be back. It's amazing how everything has kind of changed from last year to this year. We started last year with a big baseball draft, and we had a, a season that lasted, what, five weeks? Well, not even five weeks, about three or four weeks last year, and then we Turned into more of an interviewing show. We came back for football. Now we're back. Hey, this I feel like this is our wheelhouse is talking about Bulldog baseball. Well, it's good to be able to talk about it again, not just in the theoretical and the historical sense, but in the sense that, man, we got games coming up. February 19, opening it up, and boy, not an exactly an easy start to the season either. either. No layups coming up. No, not at all. You've got uh, Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, that opening weekend out in Arlington, and then you've got the first home weekend with Tulane in week two. And so Chris Lamonis met with the media yesterday, and he was talking about this year's team. And, Charlie, you and I have talked extensively sometimes on our Sunday coffee over the last couple of months about the Mississippi State pitching staff and, of course, the Christian McLeods. And you start talking about Will Bednar and Eric Sarantola. We talked about Carlisle Kessler the other day and about how, you know, he's almost like a 40-year-old throwing knuckleballs out there. Let's talk about the lineup. And that's one of the things looking at this year's team. Of course, you don't have a Justin Foscue at, at second base. You don't have a Jordan Westberg at shortstop. But you do have some pieces to the puzzle Here's the thing that stands out is, one, is this team had some struggles at the plate early on last year. We only had double digits and hits in six of the first 16 games. So it was a slow start last year at the plate. And this is going to be a year when you start the season and you have a lot of big-time arms that this lineup is going to face. It's going to be interesting to me to see if we play the game a little bit differently. We used to talk about John Cohen and the small ball and trying to push across a run early in the ball game, but we know we're going to be loaded in pitching. We know the teams that we are going to be playing are going to be loaded in pitching, and you wonder how much are you going to be tempted to kind of hit and run, try to move some guys. I don't want to use the bunt word this early in the broadcast, Bart, but second inning. Yeah, are we gonna are we gonna see some of those things? a little bit differently recognizing that runs may be at a premium or is all this just talk is we get settled in and we start playing baseball does it just go back to the way it was I don't know I I think the more guys that we have and I think the game is going to change a little bit and we're going to have Ben McDonald on the show later today Ben McDonald of course with the SEC Network and ESPN he joined us last year and Ben's a good friend and a guy that's a great ambassador for college baseball. And I want to ask Ben that question about how the game may play be played differently this year compared to years before because of that depth issue. Do you run guys out there, you know, and, and bring you know bring the, the bullpen early in the sixth inning when a guy's kind of been cruising because you have the number of arms? Is that going to lead it to be, you know, runs at more of a premium? You know, when you look back to the game of baseball and kind of how the the BB core bat and then the change of the ball in 2014, you know, really changed the game a little bit. I think this is going to be one of those years where the game kind of changes as well. And it's not going to be mechanically with the bat or the ball. It's going to be, you know, how you pitch and how many guys you bring off the bench. 
So let me give you a prediction. We saw, I think it was last year, where Major League Baseball went to the three-batter rule for relief pitchers. Part of that was designed to speed up the game. They didn't like guys like Joe Girardi walking out there, change pitcher, change pitcher, change pitcher after every hitter. Kind of really hurt, by the way, that left-handed specialist role that's kind of been impacted. I wonder, I'm going to make a prediction for you. Number one, I predict that games this year are going to be longer on average than we've seen in the past five years. Yeah, absolutely. And you say why, because I think – you have more options, you have more guys, and if something isn't going well, there's going to be a march to the mound and you're going to see a new pitcher. And what does that do? It takes time. So I wonder, you talk about the changes, is this the year where college baseball says, we need to look at doing something like that? The thing about the length of the game and the changes on the mound, does this year make it tougher on coaches? I think it does. I think it really makes it tough on coaches. Here's the thing about Ron Polk and growing up around Mississippi State baseball. When Ron Polk made out his lineup in day (laughs) one, day 15 was exactly the same lineup. And it didn't matter. I mean, you had a a great Division I team sitting over there on the bench. But day one to day 15 was exactly the same. I think it's more tough when you start talking about managing pitchers. And then who do you bring in? When do you bring in? Uh, Sue Gunner, who was the longtime women's basketball coach at LSU, Hall of Famer, tremendous person, a native of Walnut Grove, Mississippi. She had seven players on her roster one time when we went down to play her in basketball. And I said, how, how tough has it been? East Central Community College graduate, by the way, junior college at the time, college with you in mind. And she said, hey, this has been the easiest coaching job of my life. I don't have to make decisions because I just got seven players. Well, this is the complete opposite of that this year when you have a lot of moves that you can make. And like you said, Charlie, I think it lengthens the game. But you kind of wonder how coaches around the league, you know, you you have some coaches that have been around. Chris Lamonis is a guy that's been around the game for a while now. And uh, Paul Maneri has been around the game for a while now. Dave Van Horn. You wonder how some of these younger coaches – may try to overmanage. Yeah, you could see that happening. And I wonder just from a fan perspective, at what point are people going to go from saying, we can't wait for baseball's back, to saying, man, these games last forever. <laughs> now, you're going to have fewer people in the stands, so they won't be able to complain as much and be just happy to be there. But So it's going to be interesting, and I think that's going to be – I think you make a great point. I thought one of the things that Chris Lamona showed early in his time here was – that he was not a guy who overmanaged. You know, he seemed to push the buttons at the right times. He was willing to make changes. You know, we talk about missing Westberg, but there was a time when Westberg got dropped down in the order, and he didn't make a big fanfare of it. He just kind of did it. Foscue going from third to second. That's the reason we went to the College World Series a couple of years ago. Yeah, and what does that do for his career, you wonder? Yeah. The, the idea of now moving off third and becoming a totally different player at second base. So it's going to be interesting to see if – Managers, I think Mississippi State is well-positioned because I do not think Chris Lamonis and Scott Foxhall are guys who are naturally inclined to want to overthink things. I think they will make decisions when they need to, but they aren't the kind of guys who feel like they have to be making a decision all the time. Okay, so here's the thing about this year's roster and this year's starting lineup, okay? When you look around the infield, let's start at third base. There are some places on this team and in this, you know, in this lineup that you can put – the pen and the magic marker too, okay? But there are a lot of places where you got to write in the lineup with a pencil. 
I think a third base, you know, with this team on the defensive side, third base may, may be your revolving door. And Chris Lamona's talked about that yesterday of it may be some left on rights. It may be some late game substitutions for defense. Where do you see State right now at third base? Well, I think you hit it. I think it's going to be a matchup situation. And one of those interesting issues is going to be normally, and one thing Chris Lamont has talked about, you like to go left, right. But two of your real candidates to play there both hit left because you got Landon Jordan, a left-handed hitter, Kellum Clark, a left-handed hitter. So you're not going to be platooning its pitching so much. And then the question is, are you going to see Tanner Leggett get time there? So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens at third. And, and you've seen Forsyth's name there, there as well. I mean, he's another true freshman who has a lot of upside. So that's it's kind of a revolving door over at third. And the reason you have that revolving door over at third is because last year's third baseman in Cameron James moves over to shortstop. With the absence of Jordan Westberg, of course, Cameron James projected high as a draft prospect. Of course, the younger brother of Keegan James, dad played football at Mississippi State, and he moves over to shortstop. So he's really got everything nailed down at shortstop right now. He's been very good in the offseason. Everything I've talked to, a lot of different players, a lot of different coaches, and they've really raved about Cameron James and the job he's done at shortstop. You feel good about Cameron James based on reports, but what's the one thing he doesn't have? SEC at bats. Yes. None, and, and that's interesting because Chris Lamonis talked yesterday about how he's made this big jump offensively, and we saw that early in the season last year that he was improving, but he still hasn't, you know, had to hit a fastball at LSU. Go over to second base, the transfer from Jacksonville, Scotty DeBrule. He's pretty much, you know, markered in over at second base. Be interesting to see how he transforms his game from Jacksonville to the SEC. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think the thing that's encouraging is the reports are that he's a pure hitter and that he's become one of our better defenders. And so, look at second base, you got a big hole to fill right there. He isn't going to fill the whole Foscue hole himself. But the question is, can he give you enough? And it sounds like he can. Everything I've heard, he's a tremendous defensive second baseman. He's a guy that can go get it, a guy that can really cover the four hole. Josh Hatcher over at first. He played in the outfield some a couple of years ago. They moved him back to first base last year. Of course, moved Tanner Allen out the right field. And so Josh Hatcher is kind of making his way over at first. Pretty good defensive first baseman, but he's a guy. He is the exact guy that we're glad the draft was at five rounds last year. Yeah, because he's a guy, Tanner Allen too, and those are yep. guys who are gone. And, boy, I like Hatcher so much better at first than I did in the outfield. Yeah, two home runs last year. He started a little slow, but he's your top returning hitter off last year's team. He hit three eleven in the first 16 games of the season. Of course, he started in all 16 of those games, had 19 hits, four doubles, one triple, and two home runs. And so seven of his 19 hits were extra bases last year. Out in right field, we talked about Tanner Allen coming back. You know, here's the thing about Chris Lamonis, and you talked about this just a moment ago, about how – He's kind of settled in. He's kind of an old-school type of coach. Even though on the defensive side, you're going to see State move over with a shift, he has not really gone to the Major League Baseball approach to play. Because when I think of, you know, when I think of Allen, when I think of Allen out in right field, he's a guy that could probably hit 20 home runs, but it would kill his batting average. But he does so many things so well. He'll double in the left center field. His approach to the plate has gotten better as his, as his career has gone on. Now, he had a slow start last year. Tanner was hurt early in the season, and so you get him back out in right field. 
And you know what you've got there. And it's one of those positions you look at first, you look at right field, you look at center field, you know what you got. And what you've got is a good left-handed hitter. Center field, Rowdy Jordan. Of course, Rowdy started the year out in center field last year. He's been around this program for a long time. Rowdy could have probably been a draft possibly last year as well if you had gone later than four rounds or five rounds. Rowdy hit 308 last year, 20 hits in 65 at-bats. And that was big because if you go back to the prior years, he had really gotten off to slow starts and had played very well in the second half of the season. A lot, I think, of Mississippi State success this year is going to depend on Rowdy having another good start. Then over in left field, you've got third base and left field. Those are the two question marks right now. What are you seeing out in left field? Boy, it's going to be a big old question mark right there. Ultimately, I think what you're going to see is a question of what type of pitcher are you facing? And then I, I feel like it's going to be a question of can Braylon Skinner do it at this level? He is a very exciting player. He was all over the bases in his time at Northwest, but he comes in here. He's a sophomore eligibility-wise. But this guy who's played baseball, he just hasn't done it at this level. You feel like Braylon Skinner may be a little bit of an edge. You could see Brad Cumbus out there. You know, Cumbus we think of more in right field uh, earlier in his career. But that's a guy who doesn't have a lot of at-bats right now because he's coming over from football. And then the guy we haven't talked about, Brandon Pimentel. Yes. All right, Pimentel we know can run into a fastball. And when he does, he can hit it a long ways. The question is, is he going to be able to run into enough of them to keep himself in the lineup? I think left field and catcher. It's almost like the odd guy out as far as in the starting lineup really has a chance to be your DH. Because when I start thinking about left field, Brandon Pimentel, left-handed hitter, Brad Cumbus, right-handed hitter, they're almost the same guy, one on the right, one on the left. And so Braylon Skinner really plays a big part in that as well. You know, so then you ask yourself about catcher. You know, Luke Hancock, Logan Tanner, you know, both of those guys have been good behind the plate. Both of those guys have high velocity with their exit velocity off the bat. And one hits left and one hits right. That's right. And ultimately, I think this is a good year to be a right-handed hitter with a little pop if you're trying to find your way into the lineup. You know, what favors a Brad Compass, for example – He's a strong guy. He's a right-handed hitter because if you look past him and Tanner, you're not really sure where your right-handed power is going to come. Well, here's the thing too, and you go along with that point about you know if if you see you know if you see a left-hander, we've got so many left-handed guys in this lineup. I mean, you've got a Hatcher, you've got a Rowdy Jordan who's going to turn around and bat from the left side. You know, Tanner Allen, you know, Luke Hancock. I mean, you've got a lot of left-handed hitters, and so. Like you said, Charlie, we're still kind of looking for that right-handed big stick. So that's kind of a look around what's going on around the field as far as defensive positions. Now, the whole key is is where do you put them in the lineup? And I think that's the, the challenge that Chris Lamonis and Jake Gotro and the staff have right now is where do you put these guys in the lineup? Of course, the, the early thought is, without doubt, Rowdy Jordan in the top spot. I mean, what about a Scotty DeBrule? Do you bat him down in the lineup? Do you bat him ninth? I mean, do you have essentially two leadoff guys back-to-back? So, I mean, there's a lot of moving factors right now as far as your lineup. And so that's a quick look at what Mississippi State looks like in the field this season. Of course, we'll talk more about the Bulldog pitchers next week in our show. When we come back, we'll talk to Ben McDonald, who works with ESPN and the SEC Network. Of course, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with a home team. If you're in the market for auto, home, fire, auto, whatever, life, 
Farm Bureau, they're your go-to. They're your home team. Check them out at favorites.com. And, of course, we are presented by Farm Bureau. When we come back, we'll go to the phones and we'll talk to Ben McDonald of ESPN and the SEC Network. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, producing the finest quality American catfish over in Itabina, Mississippi, just on the other side, the western side of Greenwood. Well, I guess it's on my side of Greenwood if you live in the other parts of the Delta, like Greenville. But the best and finest catfish from Heartland Catfish. And each week they bring you our guest line segment, Brought to you by Heartland Catfish. And let's go to the phones on our Heartland guest line segment. And Ben McDonald with the SEC Network and ESPN joins us. Former top overall pick out of LSU. Still does a little work with the Baltimore Orioles with their TV as well. And Ben, I tell you what, welcome to the show. We had you on last year. It's hard to believe, man. I think we're going to talk a little bit about baseball in less than a month. How about that? Don't that sound good? I, I love the way that comes off your lips, man. I tell you what, uh, we, we've all in, in SEC Nation and across the country been craving, you know, some college baseball. And it's so unfortunate we've talked about it a hundred times what happened last year. But, you know, it is what it is. But we're looking forward, and I know you guys are, and, and all the folks around the SEC are just looking forward to some normalcy in some ways. And, and college baseball looks like it's going to get kicked off on the 19th, man. And I'm excited about it. Major League Baseball last year had the shortened draft. Guys have extra years of eligibility. Are we going to see the most talented year that we've seen top to bottom in terms of depth of talent in this league? Oh, uh, without a doubt. You know, all you got to do is look at, at the rankings. D1 Baseball came out. 21 of the top 50 college prospects in the country are in the SEC this year. You know, and you go up and down the rosters, there's first-rounders everywhere, especially the pitching staff. The pitching, the pitching staff uh, across the SEC are going to be loaded. But, look, it's going to be that way across college baseball as a whole. You know, I mean, we're going to see the most talent and probably the best product on the field potentially ever that we've seen in college baseball. And it's been throughout. You know, my son plays junior college ball. And, look, they've got two or three. D1 kids that transfer because of the number of crunches that are down at the junior college level. So it all trickled down. And you talked about a five-round draft is what we had last year. So a lot of those kids that were going to be six-rounders and above or had higher numbers coming out of high school ends up on college campuses. Some stay. You really have five recruiting classes on campus now for everybody, you know. And so from a talent standpoint, I don't think there are any advantages across the league or across the country because everybody's kind of in the same boat. But to answer your question, yeah, I mean, the product on the field this year, the talent on the field across college baseball is going to be the best we've ever seen, in my opinion. We're talking to Ben McDonald, a former big leaguer, and, of course, with the SEC Network and ESPN. Ben, you've been around this game for a long time as a pitcher, and you've also had some success, you know, off the field. You talk about your son and, you know, about travel ball and things of that nature. The one thing we had last year is we had time off. Pitchers had the entire summer off. You didn't have the Cape Cod League. You didn't have all these summer leagues where you do a, a lot of development in the off season. And now all of a sudden you've got guys that are coming back with fresh arms. A couple of things there. 
do you expect guys to have the pinpoint control that they've had, especially early in the season? And what do you think that has to do with the possible injuries? I haven't heard of many injuries at all around college baseball here early in the in the preseason. Well, I think there's pluses and minuses to that. You know, I mean, some kids that you wanted to, to develop, you know, in the summertime or even in college baseball didn't get a chance to develop like you wanted to. And what I mean by that is really getting them in some game-type situations. The good news, as you mentioned, there's a lot of fresh arms out there. Kids continue to work, you know, across college baseball, you know. And, and really, if you go back and look at fall, fall ball is a time where typically your aces, or if you had guys returning to your weekend rotation, didn't really participate a whole lot in the fall because maybe they accumulated too many innings, you know, over the course of the season before, or maybe even in summer ball. So you laid off a few guys. But this year was totally different. Everybody's aces and everybody got reps in fall ball, which means your hitters got more reps against quality competition too. So you were able to really work on some things instead of shutting some guys down unless they were coming off an arm injury or maybe had some soreness or those kind of things. So I think it's plus and minuses to the whole thing. But talking to some college coaches around the league, they were able to get their real aces into some ball games and the fall ball to help develop them. And the hitters really saw good competition throughout. One of the things that we hear a lot at the beginning of a year is, well, pitching is ahead of hitting. And that sometimes it takes the pitchers, or excuse me, the hitters a little bit of time to catch up, detecting spin, doing those things. With the time off that we've had and with the, the way the fall was a little bit different, do you expect anything to be different as this year starts, or do you expect the pitchers maybe to even be more ahead than typical? No, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I talked to the folks over at LSU the other day, and they felt like their hitters, might be a little bit ahead of time because they got more reps this year in fall ball than typically they would get. Because, again, some of your pitchers that you typically would lay off in the fall because they accumulated too many innings got an opportunity to pitch. So there was more reps for everybody to go around. So I think weather has a lot to do with that. And, you know, when it's cold out, I've always felt like pitchers have the advantage in the course of the month of February across the country, you know, especially in the Midwest. And I know y'all are experiencing some cold weather, too. I think pitchers have a little bit of an advantage over hitters. But all in all, I expect the hitters to be maybe a little bit ahead of where they typically would be come February the 19th. Talking with Ben McDonald, the SEC Network and ESPN. Ben, the style of play and how the games will be played, do you see how the expanded rosters and more pitchers, do you see more quick hit, uh, quick hooks? You know, a guy who walks the leadoff guy in the sixth inning, even though he's been doing well, and you've got a loaded bullpen, do you see the game being managed differently this year just by the numbers? Yeah, I, I think potentially. I mean, anytime you're a coach, you have more weapons at your disposal, and that's what you have this year because, you know, this year, if I'm not mistaken, there's unlimited rosters this year. And the next year we go from 35 to 40 for everybody that wants to do that. But unlimited this year. So there's definitely more weapons for coaches at their disposal. And teams that have deep bullpens and deep pitching staffs, I think you'll see a quicker or maybe shorter hook for some guys because you got another guy down there that's just as good. Uh, but I think early in the year there's a lot of experimentation going on. You want to build your starters up to certain pitch counts. You want to get your relievers and hopefully – in some roles, I think there'll be some experimenting early, like there always is in college baseball. But then by the time you get to conference play and conference play begins, there's still some tinkering going on, you know, with roles down in that bullpen uh, and potentially in the weekend rotation as well. But I think you'll start to see coaches start to land on certain roles until things change, you know. And I think it'll be the same way for lineups. I think you'll see lineups kind of go back and forth 
in the month of February and early in March, and the coaches will try to land on what they think is their best nine potentially come SEC play. Ben, obviously at Mississippi State we're excited because we got guys like Christian McLeod coming back and Will Bednar and some guys that we really think have a chance to take a big step forward. And we tend to think, boy, we got a lot of pitching, but it's funny you start to look at the previews for other teams. There's a lot of people sitting there looking at their team saying, we got a lot of something because guys came back. When you look around the league, who's out there? Who do you see that may be kind of a surprise team this year or a a team that you look to kind of jump up and, and, and be a little bit better than maybe people have expected? Well, when I look at it, you know, I go back and look, and I, and I know it wasn't a complete game or complete season last year. I mean, some teams played 16, 17, 18 games last year. But what was the concern to me is some of our better teams we feel like in the SEC, and I'm talking about LSU, Mississippi State, you know, and even Vanderbilt. If you look at runs per game last year, I think those are the question marks for me. Like Vanderbilt was 11th in the league in runs scored last year. LSU was 12th in the league in runs scored last year. Mississippi State was – 14th in the league at 5.3 runs per game last year. So I think there's some question marks there. Can those particular teams generate uh, enough offense to match the pitching staff that we think they have? If you look at Mississippi State, for instance, there is a ton of – I love Sarantola, McLeod, Bednar, you mentioned. I mean, those are some big-time arms and some big-time potential. But it's also kids that don't have a lot of SEC experience, right? And so they pitch well at the beginning of the year last year, but they really didn't get in the fire. You know, if you go over to Jaden Hill to LSU, who's projected to be a fifth round or a fifth pick overall in the first round, I mean, here's a kid that's only got 20 innings in his entire college career. He's never pitched an SEC uh, inning in his life. And while the potential is there, and I think that's the big question this year for a lot of these pitching staffs out there is, okay, we know we have a lot of talent, right? We know the talent is there, but does talent trump experience? And that's going to be the big question. When you go over to the University of Florida, why I like Florida so much, you take Tommy Mace and you take Leftwich. Those two guys have been in the battles before, right? They've been three-year SEC stars, and that's why I think Florida's ranked number one overall because not only the depth of the pitching staff, but the experience that they bring to the table, right? Those guys have been in the fire before. So we're going to find out if, if talent can trump experience or not, you know, and that's where we're going to have to find out how fast these guys develop, as you mentioned. I mean, if you look at Sarantola, McLeod, and Bedner, I mean, look, there may not be three better in the league. The Vanderbilt's loaded, too, because you talk about, you know, Leiter over there. Of course, Kumar Rocker's coming back, too, but Leiter's not really been in the fire yet. Kumar has. And so we're going to see how these kids develop at the, at the SEC, you know, when really, really, when it matters the most, how they perform in those big-time situations. Talking with Ben McDonald. Ben, last year you worked a lot of Orioles games and you saw Major League Baseball being played without fans and how that was different for the game itself. And you start talking about the LSUs, the Mississippi States, the Ole Misses, and the Texas A&Ms and the Arkansas, the places that normally have big crowds. How do you think that may affect the home field advantage this year for those teams? I think it's not as big. I mean, we saw the home field advantage in Major League Baseball, as you mentioned last year, with no fans. It almost felt like there wasn't a big advantage at all to play at home other than you were more familiar with your home field. But past that, uh, you know, with no fans in the stands, and it was awkward, I'll be honest with you. Players, as a player, you feed off the energy of the crowd, whether it's a home crowd, a positive crowd, or a negative crowd, too. You can feed off of that. Players didn't have an opportunity to do that last year. Now, 
for some of the young rookies that were coming up, I thought it was an advantage for them because they didn't have to play in a hostile environment. I think some of these freshmen in the SEC, it may be an advantage for them early to kind of go into a situation where there's still always pressure to play. There's no doubt about that. But when you don't have 10,000 like you have in, in Starkville or at LSU or South Carolina or wherever, I think it could be an advantage. But for some of the veteran players, it may not be as much of an advantage because they feed off of that kind of energy, you know. So 25% capacity is going to be better than nothing is what we saw at the big league level last year. But still, it's not going to be the same. There's no doubt about that. I'm curious. We see you a lot with SEC games. We know you do work with the Orioles. What's your year going to look like this year? It's going to be busy, man. I mean, on the schedule right now, I've got about 129 games oh. throughout the year. I'll do uh, I'll do 82 Oriole games, and I'll do about 43 uh, you know, college games throughout and some digital games. I'll start with Lynn Rollins early. Of course, we'll be over at the ballpark, uh, you know, in-house, which I'm excited about that. Uh, early in the year, starting on the 19th when LSU opens up against Air Force, you know. So it's going to be a busy year for me. Now, what it looks like, we really don't know. Uh, ESPN has sent me an in-house studio, so it appears when SEC games begin, we're going to be doing games, unfortunately, for now, from home, you know, which uh, is better than nothing. It's not ideal. Uh, from an Oriole situation, I think it's going to be like it was last year. We'll do the games in Baltimore when the boys are at home, but when they go on the road, we will sit in the press box in Baltimore, we'll call games off of a, uh, off of a monitor. Uh, when, like, the Orioles are playing the Yankees or, or the Red Sox or whoever on the road, we'll call games off of a monitor. So that's kind of what it's looking like right now. I'm hoping that changes, especially in college baseball. We can actually be at the venue because there's no, you know, there, there, there's no more excitement, you know, than going over to Mississippi State and calling a game or at Ole Miss where you mentioned or even at LSU and just being at the ballpark. But, look, at the end of the day, I always tell people, I'm just glad there's going to be baseball no matter what it looks like. And we hope with the vaccines getting out there and it getting better across the country that eventually we can start traveling to these venues. Ben, before we let you go, hey, real quick, I mean, we, we talked to Dave Neal, who does a lot of everything, you know, football, baseball, basketball. And Dave was talking about that setup for football. And of course, I think basketball would probably be the easiest to broadcast remotely because you have the entire floor sitting in front of you. When you talk about doing those games with the Orioles and what you're going to do with the SEC and, and broadcasting remotely, what's your setup like? Do you have a, a full field view, or are you just broadcasting solely off of what the, the viewer sees at home? Well, it's pretty much what the viewer sees at home, and that's the disadvantage to calling a ball game, right? I mean, we got a monitor just like you were sitting in your living room calling it. Now, we will have another picture that maybe show us the bullpen, fixed cameras where you can see who's warming up in the bullpen. But when you call it from home – you just can't see the little things, right? Like, I can't see if there's a runner at second base and a base hit for right field. Did the runner at second base get a good jump? Is that the reason why he made it home and was out or safe? You know, so it's going to be small things. The ball gets in the corner in right field or a corner in left field. You can't really see if the right fielder fielded it cleanly and got the ball in. So there's small things that we're not going to be able to see, which gives you a big advantage of being at the ballpark, you know. But we had a lot of reps at it last year. I felt like it went off as good as it could go. I'm hoping that technology gets a little bit better. Maybe we have a few more fixed cameras in certain areas where you could glance up and maybe see what's going on in right field or see some different things in a ball game. But it's certainly not the same as being at the ballpark, but we're going to make the best of it. Ben, you talk about pluses and minuses. The positive is we've got baseball. The minus, we don't have the turkey season like we did last year. But I'll tell you what, I'll, ta <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take that trade. 
No, I would look. I got the turkey hunt for the first time last spring in I don't know, maybe twenty five years. And I didn't mind it. It was pretty cool. I wish we were playing baseball, but like I was like a lot of other people. I got to do some things last spring that I didn't normally get to do. But look, I would certainly rather be at Mississippi State calling a ball game than I would be turkey hunting. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'll find some time to turkey hunt later on, but I'd like to be calling some ball games for sure. No doubt. I don't know if yours is like mine. My wife's ready to get me out of the house. She wants me to go to baseball games. Hey Ben, we appreciate you, man. Anytime, guys. Y'all take care. Good luck. And that's Ben McDonald here on the first show of the 2021 Out of Left Field show here in baseball season. Charlie, man, Ben's always full of, of great insight. He was a great pitcher himself. I mean, he was a good player. Oh, boy. But he does a great job. He's a great ambassador for college sports. He's always a positive ambassador for college baseball. And last year, I watched a lot of the Orioles games. He is just simply good. Oh, he's one of the best voices for college baseball there is, and Look, that's who he is. That's not an act. He's been that guy for as long as I can remember. In fact, I remember Ben McDonald coming here as a player in the SEC tournament one year, traded him a Mississippi State hat for a couple of LSU shirts. And the guy, (laughs) just like, you know, I'm 12 years old, and the guy stands there and talks to me like he's known me my whole life. And that's the thing I love about Ben McDonald. And he is a guy, you never hear him tearing down a team, tearing down a program, he is doing everything he can to promote the game of college baseball in general and the SEC in particular, and what a great guy to have on your side. Absolutely, and it's also amazing. The last time we talked to Ben, he was talking about how close he came to coming to Mississippi State and the relationship that he has with Ron Polk, and he still has that good relationship, but he was from that Baton Rouge area. Skip Burtman was calling. He was trying to get that program turned around down at LSU. And he, and he was playing basketball. Right, and he was playing basketball as well. So, yeah, Ben. So we can blame Bob Boyd. Blame Bob Boyd, absolutely. <laughs> or Dale Brown, however you want to look at it. So, hey, we appreciate Ben McDonald joining us. When we come back, Charlie and I will talk more about this 2021 Mississippi State baseball team. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Man, great conversation. Always great to talk with Ben McDonald. You know, Ben brought up some really good points there, Charlie, about the hitters being more ahead this year than in any year in the past, simply because your starters are getting more play in the fall ball. And to be honest with you, that's really one of the first times I've heard that. No, I think conventional wisdom was the exact opposite, wasn't it? Yeah. That pitchers were going to be a little bit ahead. But – that's why we talk to guys like him. Absolutely. Okay, early in the show, we talked about Mississippi State defensively around the field. One of the guys we focused on was Scotty DeBrule, the transfer from Jacksonville. And Scotty DeBrule kind of penciled in right now as the starting second baseman for Mississippi State. So let's kind of go back in Bulldog history. And this look at Bulldog history brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, Country Pleasing located there on Highway 49 in Florence, the Country Meat Packers. They just keep building that brand. It gets better and better. They've got blueberry maple that's just kind of hit the shelves. The jalapeno and pineapple is new. But I tell you what, you can go with the old faithful. That's the original sausage, the country-pleasing. Check them out at your local grocer throughout the south at Kroger. You had Vowels, Walmart, but they make a great product. And once again, welcoming back country-pleasing sausage to our lineup. And, uh, Charlie, 
Henry Cooper and the gang have uh, really become family to us. Well, they certainly have. And it's interesting how many people you see who have tried country pleasing sausage. And now what everybody's getting into are wanting to make the trip down and pick up some of the different varieties. Absolutely. They've got that storefront of the Country Meat Packers on Highway 49. Your perfect spot for anything your ta- with the tailgate with the, that you're cooking on the grill. It's just a great butcher shop at Country Meat Packers. Okay, Charlie, we talked about Scotty DeBrule, transfer player. kind of got me thinking, all right, who's your all-transfer team? Who's the guys? Here's the thing about Mississippi State baseball. When you start looking at rosters that date back to the, the 80s and the 90s and all the way until today, this is a program that was really built on high school talent under Ron Polk. And then we've had some junior college transfers, don't get me wrong, especially you know early in the John Cohen era when you're trying to flip the roster a little bit. But at the end of the day, we haven't had many, like, quote-unquote, true transfers from other schools. But I got to thinking about, man, that 1999 team, after you had the back-to-back College World Series in 97 and 98, how about that team of 1999? You had Cliff Wren that came in here from Southern Miss, who was really good that year at first base. Chris Lauterhaus, who was a transfer from Ole Miss, he was your second baseman. And then the third baseman was a guy by the name of Ty Martin. So we had three of our four infield guys were transfers from other Division I schools. And that's the last time I can really remember an influx of transfers, anything approaching that. Now, we've had some graduate transfers yeah. over the past few years, and that's what DeBrule is. You know, you've, you think pitchers. Uh, Zach Neff, J.P. France, uh, Carlisle Kessler, David Dunlavy. You know, you've had some of those guys, but, you know, there haven't been that many over the years. You're right. If you go back to Ron Polk, you got the occasional Juco guy, particularly early in his career. Yeah. You know, he went down to Florida, got a number of guys when he was building the program. Bobby Thickpin was a Juco guy when he came in. But then it kind of really settled into high school kids. You know, John Cohen was a transfer. He was. Birmingham Southern. But – 1999, Lauterhaus, he was really good. He was really good. Second baseman, came in here. You know, I think he was a legacy at Ole Miss, and I think he was a guy that kind of upset the Ole Miss faithful of coming to Mississippi State. Of course, you flip the page. You know, Bernie Hutchison was good here, and then he went to, went to Ole Miss. We won't talk about Bernie. Bernie was a great player. But, um, you know, Cliff Wren coming here from Southern Miss. Cliff Wren really had a good year that year. I think he was like third on the team in hitting. He had like 13 home runs. Uh, you had John Knott, who was a big-time home run hitter that year. You had several guys who could really hit on that team, and Wren was very, very good over there at first base. Well, you think about the 99 team, two of your top three hitters on that team were transfers because you had Travis Chapman was the leading hitter that year, but then you had Cliff Wren and Chris Lauterhaus, your second and third leading hitters on the team. And then Ty Martin – Played in 2000. He was the only one of those guys that played in the 2000 season. And, of course, he hit the big home run, the walk-off home run against Notre Dame and the regional here. But, you know, it was after Ty Martin. And you had a big you know, phase going through the SEC at that time with players transferring. And it was almost like that group of guys led to the rule change because you didn't have to sit out a year. The SEC then put in a rule saying if you're going to transfer from SEC school to SEC school, you have to sit out a year, which kind of killed a lot of that momentum there. Uh, Casey Long in 2002 came from UAB. 2004, John Crosby. Remember John Crosby from Georgia Tech? He came over here. He was a pitcher. But here's the thing. 
Transfer-wise, early in the John Cohen era, we would not have had Luke Adkins pitching on Sunday against Kentucky if it wasn't for the transfer. He came from Southern Miss. Well, we've, we've had a lot of transfer bet- between here and Southern Miss both ways. I was going to say, we've sent a number of guys down there. Todd Nace played here in the 80s, late 80s, went down to Southern, had a really long hitting streak. Um, Luke Reynolds. Uh, Brant Blaylock. Yeah, Brant Blaylock, Luke Reynolds. There's a couple of guys that went down there, and uh, Luke Reynolds had a really good career down there. Brant Blaylock was good at Southern Miss as well. So you don't see many guys that are transferring in like a Scotty DeBrule this year. And it's, you know, you kind of wonder. Here's the thing, Charlie. You kind of wonder in college baseball right now of where that's going to lead to, about rosters, about transfers. That's the thing about, you know, such an influx of talent is what's going to happen next year with the rosters. And if the roster sizes go back to 35, 37, are you going to see more and more transfers? Because transfers have become the name of the game, not just in college baseball, but now in college sports. Well, yeah, we've certainly seen that on the football side and and basketball as well. It's going to be interesting, too. I've always felt like that the prime spot for the grad transfer was in the pitching staff because you've always got room for one more pitcher. You know, it's sometimes – Things have to fall just right to have an opening at second base, for example. It worked out so that we have a spot for a grad transfer. But when you start talking about pitching, they're always there. It's going to be really interesting. I still think you're going to see a ton of movement in players in general because it's going to take several years to sort out what has happened by this past year. You know, back in that same time frame, you know, one of the big transfers within the league and it was talked about at the time was David Ross from Auburn to Florida. And so it was not just here. I mean, it was everywhere. So that's just one of the things to take a look at. And, of course, as look back at Bulldog history. Those are some names we haven't talked about in a long time. I, I thought about you know Cliff Wren, who was just a really physical first baseman. You know, Cliff wasn't that tremendous defender over at first, but he was a guy that was solid in your lineup. Lauder Haas was very good at turning the double play. And then Ty and Martin. the fake bunt slash, he and Darren Wright Darren, made a living doing that. Absolutely. And then Ty Martin, his dad was like the trainer for the Minnesota Twins. And then Ty Martin coming from Florida. I think Ty, I saw Ty back when we had the, the baseball reunion last fall. Uh, Ty's down at Troy now. We need to get Ty on the show. Very good good guy, studious guy. He can really talk. And so, anyway. Which um, would set him apart on this program. It would set him apart, especially from me. <laughs> Both of us. <laughs> and that look back at Bulldog history brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Charlie and I will come back with a final word as we get you inside of a month now, inside of three weeks to open up college baseball. Mississippi State on the road out in Arlington to open the season. 11 a.m. starts on Friday, Saturday, Sunday against Texas, Texas Tech, and TCU. Back with a final word, you're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. Charlie, we talked to Ben McDonald just a little bit ago, and he was talking about how right now it's beginning to look like when the SEC Network picks up a game, they're going to be in a studio at his house and all over a remote broadcast. That's the positive for us is, man, I'm so looking forward to that Jackson State game on Tuesday. What is that, the 22nd and the 23rd? And then that following weekend against Tulane. 
And what happens is, is the SEC, we have 35 home games this year. The SEC will come in and they'll pick some games that they'll actually broadcast. They'll do it remotely. But everything else, you're pretty much going to get me and you. And I tell you what, I can't wait to jump back in the booth. It's so much fun. It's so much fun for, for me. I know it for you as well. Two guys that grew up Mississippi State guys. I am looking forward to it. That's that's the great thing about what we get to do is is walking that press box right behind home plate. We got the best vantage point in the stadium, and we get to, uh, to kind of share ourselves with you and come into your living rooms for you know thirty times in the spring. And I can't wait for it. Yeah, it's the twenty third and twenty fourth. I know you're okay. excited for it to get here. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're gonna have to wait one more. I may go so. up there and camp out. I may <laughs> spend the night on the twenty second in the in the press box. Yeah, three weeks from from this week and we'll be ready to go and you know Bart it's been such a privilege over the years to be able to do Mississippi State games because you you know you grow up like me sitting in your room standing outside you know throwing the ball around listening to Jim Ellis on the radio and now to have the opportunity we couldn't have dreamed as kids of the idea of being able to go inside and watch a game and here's the thing too and you know a lot of people you know comment and, and touch base with us on Twitter and whether it be emails or text, doing what we do is not easy. And I'm not patting ourselves on the back. And I, what I mean by that is is I love Mississippi State, and I want us to win every game. You're the same way too. And we're told by the SEC, hey, when you guys get on, you can't talk about we and us and they and them. Boy, and that took some work, didn't it? And it's hard. It's not easy because we want to yell and scream with you, but we can't. And, that, and that's the difference in TV and radio. There's a few things that are really jump out at me as differences. Number one is when you're doing the SEC Plus broadcast, you got to call it down the middle or Supposed at least as to. close as you can. We're told to. Now, There's, you can some other schools tune may in not. a few other broadcasts and question their commitment to that concept. But radio, you obviously have a license. You're working for the home team. The other thing is this is just a general observation that I've noticed watching a lot of basketball games. So much of the time, if you want to complain about what the guys on the radio are talking about, 90% of the time it's their fault they're talking about it. So when you're mad at the announcer, you're mad at the right person. Yeah. So if you catch us on radio and you don't like what we're talking about, that's on us. When it's on TV, the storyline is driven so much, particularly coming in and out of breaks. So as you come in from a timeout, you know, if you say, why are they still talking about this player? The guys on TV aren't making that graphic. They're not putting up the stats. They're just reporting what's there. And so it's really interesting because I know a lot of people get frustrated watching basketball. Why does this keep coming up? That's somebody else. Well, you brought it up last week. You were talking about Beth Bowens and how many times she brought up the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Somebody's in the truck throwing that graphic up every 10 minutes. And, yeah, that's that's what makes it tough. But I tell you what, it's, uh, it's, it's a blast. And we're looking forward to it. I stand on my criticism, by the way. I'm fine with that. Okay. I'm, I mean, I'm fine with the <laughs> criticism. And so, so hey, we're, we're looking forward to it. We're a couple of weeks away from, from crawling up in that booth and bringing you Bulldog baseball, and I can't wait. I think this year has a chance to be a really special season. But let me tell you, folks, everybody's going to be good. Everybody's going to be good. And if you are a baseball fan, a pure baseball fan, I think you're really going to enjoy this 2021 season. I think there are going to be a lot of very good teams in our league sitting at 500. Yep. And then I think this could be the year where the SEC gets 11 teams in the postseason. 
Charlie, I enjoyed coming back, talking a little bit about baseball. Man, it's good to be back. It's just good to talk baseball. Good to talk baseball. So that'll do it for this episode of Out of Left Field. Once again, we appreciate our fine friends at uh, Farm Bureau. Go with the home team, Farm Bureau. Go with the best rates at favorites.com. And so for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory saying so long. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.